We are so glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much in you and through you, and we would love to hear about it. Would you send us an email at shannon at hectorfirst.com to tell us your story? You can also go online and give to this ministry by going to hectorfirst.com and clicking the Give tab. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy the message. Thank you, musicians and singers, this morning. Thank you. It is, thank you, thank you. It is, uh, I'm putting this down here because he likes to walk. Uh, God brought a guy from Alabama for you today. Probably the only thing good that comes out of Alabama is Lee McBride and his family. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It is, it's an honor and a privilege to have him again. Uh, I get phone calls. I get to see him every week on a Zoom call, but I get, I get phone calls from this guy periodically and just saying, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I believe in you, and whether you think about it or not, I need that, and I need, I'm, I'm so glad that you're in my life. And it's not by accident that we have crossed paths, and I love you. This is your house. Come and give the word that God's given you. You worship, just don't worship him. Welcome him. <laughs> it is so good to be back in Hector, Arkansas. So, uh, so many times when I'm on my way out the door, I go see both of my granddaughters. I have a four-year-old granddaughter, Leighton. We call her Ladybug. And I said, she said, uh, where are you going, Pop? I said, Hector, Arkansas. And she's four years old. She said, I never heard of that. Now imagine that, four years old. Never heard of Hector, Arkansas. But I've been excited about this challenge. And I just want you to know that uh, I do love your pastors. I, I love their family. We, we have a similar sense of humor. And, and we're on the same team in a, in a group of pastors called MVP and it's meant as much to me as, as it has anybody on that group. And we pour into each other every Thursday on that Zoom call. We laugh. And I want to warn you, that guy that's coming, I don't know how many of y'all know Gary Sapp, but that guy that's coming to do your missions convention, you do not want to miss. He is the Bear Bryant of missions. And Bear Bryant, I know he coached Alabama, but he was born in Arkansas. Can you say Amen. Bear Bryant and Johnny Cash. I mean, it does it get any better than Bear Bryant and Johnny Cash? He is he's coming, he'll he'll bless you. And uh I'm just excited about what the Lord has to do this morning. Here's here's a good thing. It's not a good thing, but it is a good thing. Sometimes you fret over what to speak. You fret. You just it, it's a you can't imagine how intimidating it is unless you've done it when you're chosen to go somewhere and speak, that you speak the right thing. Because you're going, I'm going to stand before God one day, and he's going to hold me accountable for this few minutes that we have together. Every word, what I chose to speak, every word, it's daunting. It can be intimidating. But here's the good news is God told me just not long after I was invited to come what I was supposed to speak this morning. So I feel by faith it's for somebody here. I'm not necessarily saying it would be the one I chose 
but it's the one that he chose for this, this moment. So could we pray just one more time? I know we've prayed a bunch, but it is the only thing the Bible says to do without ever stopping. Pray without ceasing. There's a time to work. There's a time to rest. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to laugh. But we pray without ceasing. So let's pray one more time. Dear Jesus, I just pray right now you'll help us. Father, I pray that you'll prepare the hearts of these beautiful folks, this family of God. Now, Father, uh, we don't have to pray for your word to be anointed because you've already done that. You are the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word is anointed. And we, we really don't have to pray for the Holy Spirit to be welcomed here because our worship team has taken care of that. The way they lead in such a, a sweet and humble spirit. It, if there are people in this room that think it's like that everywhere, it is not. But here, Father, we, we, we've welcomed the Holy Spirit. And Father, I, I pray that, first of all, you'll help me not to muddy the water, not to mess things up, but to be crystal clear this morning in this word you have in this moment. In this moment. And Father, I pray you'll prepare the hearts of those who need to hear this. Because Lord, it is a truth that the same sunshine that hardens red clay melts red wax. So soften our hearts for what you have for us today. In your name we pray and everybody said. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 7. Very familiar passage of scripture. Now, let's set the stage for the story that I want to tell you this morning. Paul is at the end of his life. I don't know if you've ever had the responsibility or the opportunity to be with somebody at the very end of their life before they pass. Maybe you have somebody that, that, that you love dearly. I, two people who I never will doubt my whole life, I lived to be 100, that I didn't know loved me were my two grandmamas. My grandmama Nanny, her name was Alabama Faircloth Medley. Everybody called her Miss Bama. She was my mama's mama. She had 11 children. She was about four foot nine, and she was fierce. But she had a sweet, sweet spirit, best cook that's ever lived on this earth. I know you think it's your grandmama, but at the very least, your grandmama may be tied with mine, but she wasn't better than mine. I promise you. I had my other grandmother, my dad's mom. She was fiery. My grandma Hazel, fierce, tough. Went through some tough, tough things in this life. Both of them loved me dearly. My grandma Nanny, I got. I was a youth pastor in West Virginia. When I got the call, my grandma Nanny died. That was a hard drive. But when my grandma Hazel, we knew it was coming, and it was at the very end, and hospice was called in, I cannot tell you how much respect and admiration I have for hospice and what they do. I mean, I, I could not do that. And what they do is so special. It's such a call of God. And I'm sure they're different everywhere. But I'm telling you, the, the, the nurses that, that came for my grandma Hazel, we, we were with her. We were with her when she passed for three days. And, and it was so different than I thought it would be. I thought it would be just grueling and terrible. And it was. It was. It was tough. 
But I don't know how to explain to you, and you won't know unless you've done this. There was something beautiful about it, about being with her. I don't know if you've been with somebody who, and, and, and they're at their last words, and that's where we are in this letter Paul's writing to this, this young boy that he loves dearly. It's some of his very last words. And what people say in those moments should weigh heavier than all the other words they've ever said. They thought about it and they mean it. That's, these are, these are where, the, where we are with Paul. And we don't want to compare spiritual resumes with Paul. You, none of us do when it comes to suffering. I know some of you have faced some great trials and have gone through some great suffering, but I don't know of anybody been through what Paul been through. Anybody remember some of his trials? Shipwrecked. Survived. Bitten by one of the most poisonous snakes in that part of the world. Poisonous viper bit him. Survived. Three times in his life, three times, he was beaten with a whip and not worthy to receive as many stripes as Christ. Three times in his life, beaten with a whip to 39 lashes. A lot of the scriptures that we quote, I've seen quarterbacks throw the touchdown winning pass and, and quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is true. But a lot of people don't know Paul wrote that from a dungeon, starving to death and in chains. He's at the end of his life, and these are very, very, very important words. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Let's start reading at verse 6. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. Oh, do y'all want to stand? Did I do something? Everybody can stand. I'm sorry. We'll stand together. I apologize. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only me, but all those, and not only to me, but to also to all who have longed for his appearing. You may be seated. He said, I have fought the good fight. I hope it has become increasingly obvious to you. And if it hadn't, I hope maybe I can help you point to this truth. You are going to have to contend for your faith. Don't you sense the, the landscape changing? Where people used to, when I first got into ministry, people had a little bit of respect for the ministry who didn't even believe in God or the Bible. There was a little bit of admiration and respect. That is not true anymore. We are going to have to contend for our faith. Where It is a fight. We're going to have to fight if we want to win. I'm not looking for a fight. I have the joy of the Lord. That is my strength. I don't, I don't enjoy arguing with people, and I'm not looking for contention, but I'm telling you, there are certain things and certain days and certain moments and certain times when the Holy Spirit leads me, I have to contend. I have to fight. And we have to fight for our faith. We have to fight 
the good fight, the fight of the Lord. Now, <clears throat> you can't hardly scroll through the TV now without seeing this new kind of fighting. This MMA, I think is what it's called, or I, I, don't, I really don't know what it's called. I can't watch that stuff. Now, the older I'm getting, the more I'm becoming a sissy. I can't help it. I'm trying not to. I really am. I, I'm crying more than I used to. I, I went like 13 years one time without crying. Now my wife's got me watching this thing on Netflix called Heartland. I'm crying over sick horses, and I don't even like horses. But I, I did try to watch that, that sport when it first came out, and I saw a guy get a guy down, and he, he looked to me like he was trying to kill him. It just, he was trying to kill him. And now I, I understand now they've made adjustments, and it's not as violent as it once was, but I've been on both ends of that. I've been the one throwing the punches, and I've been the one receiving the punches, and I, I just don't care to watch that. But when I was a kid now, my dad always loved what we call the Friday night fights. Does anybody remember on NBC late on Friday night, every Friday night, there was a boxing match? And I remember, you know, if you think about it, I'm 57. In my lifetime, this world has seen probably the greatest boxers that it ever will if you go back 57 years in time. And if you're going to fight for your faith, if you're going to fight and win, there are three people that are necessary to have in your corner. And what the enemy would like to do is occupy your mind and your time and keep you so focused on yourself that he tries to, to distract you from the point you do not need to fight alone. You need people to help you win your spiritual fight. And the first person that you're going to need, everybody in here needs, is you need a trainer. You need somebody to push you. Your, your pastors should definitely be two of your trainers that stretch you. They don't let you just come and sit and give you attaboys and, 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 and change the word to try to fit the culture. The word of God does not evolve. The word of God does not evolve. It doesn't change to the culture. The word of God is Christ. The word of God is truth. The truth doesn't change. You need a trainer that loves you enough to stretch you, to push you, to challenge you. You need somebody to speak into your life enough that loves you that can be tough on you. I tell every football team I talk to, I'm coming to Pottsville Wednesday. I'll tell them young men the same thing. It is not a bad thing, no matter how much the world tries to lie to young people. It is not a bad thing for a grown man to be hard on a young man if he's trying to make him a better man. That's not a negative thing. I know that doesn't go coach eye with what the world is saying, but I'm telling you that is the truth. Mama, I know sometimes you think your husband's a little rough on them boys, but I promise you, if there's no doubt in your heart your husband loves his son, it is not necessarily a bad thing sometimes for him to be hard on your son. And you let daddy do what daddy needs to do. One of the only arguments, well, I mean, most consistent arguments of our whole marriage, I've been married 35 years, was discipline of my son. Until one time I was 517 miles away from my house and my wife called me and my son was 11 and she said, I cannot make him do what I'm telling him to do. I said, put him on the phone. And I said, I love you, buddy. You know I love you. Yes, sir. If you don't do what your mama telling you to do, 
When I walk in that back door, I'm going to cut my right hand and not the taste out of your mouth. Yes, sir. Tell your mama you're sorry. Sorry. I said, Wendy, I love you. But if I can make him do on the phone 500 miles away what you can't do standing in front of him, don't question being tough on him anymore. And she didn't. You need a trainer. You need somebody spiritually sometimes to be a little tough with you. You need to allow somebody to speak to you the truth and what you need to grow. You don't need to tuck tail run and go some, find somebody who, want, who don't love you enough to tell you the truth. Because I promise you, if you'll drive far enough, you'll find somebody saying exactly what you want to say. But doesn't the scripture say that's what's going to happen in end times? You need somebody who loves you enough to tell you the truth. You need somebody to push you, to stretch you, to train you, to make you get off the couch when you don't want to get off the couch. To push you. Every person in this spiritual fight needs a sparring partner. You need somebody to fight with you. You do not be, be in, need to be in the fight alone. Isn't the oldest? The oldest strategy in all of war is to divide to conquer. Divide and conquer. If the enemy can get you to feeling like you are all alone, nobody loves you, nobody understands you, nobody really cares for you, he's, that's, he's only doing that to defeat you. Those are lies. You need a sparring partner. Every person in this church, every human being in this church, let me tell you what you need. You need one friend you can tell anything and they won't tell anybody. Because you know the definition of a secret in the South is everybody only tells one person that they dearly love. You need somebody that you can tell anything and they won't tell anybody. They will hold you accountable that you can trust. And you say, well, Lee, here's the problem. I really would love to have a friend like that, but it's hard to find. How do I find a friend like that? Well, I'm going to give you the strategy to find friends like that. You be that kind of friend to other people. When we be, when we're that kind of friend to other people, it is not hard to find those kind of friends. You be the person who somebody is hurting or in need can come and share something and it won't go any further, any further. That means not your mama, not your spouse, not any further. We need sparring partners. You don't need to be in this fight alone. You need somebody that's fighting with you. You need somebody that's willing to sweat, blood, sweat, and tears put in a sacrifice with you to make you better. And in everybody in this room, if you're going to make it into a spiritual fight, you need a cut man. You need a cut man. You need somebody to get you back in the fight. Huh? You need somebody that will push you and will keep you out there. My football coach, I played for the winningest football coach in the state of Georgia history. Now, some of you that are high school football aficionados, you probably heard of the Valdostas. And some of you may have heard of the Milton High Schools and the Buford High Schools. And you look on any college roster in the SEC, and them Atlanta schools, they're, they're going to be peppered with kids from that part of Georgia. But none of them programs is the winningest program in the history of Georgia. The winningest coach in the history of Georgia played at, or coached at Lincoln County High School in Lincoln, Georgia, and was a little single A, a little single A team. He had a question I'll never forget, and I apply it to my life all the time. When you went down, he would trot out there, the trainer would trot out there, and he would say, are you hurt or are you injured? 
Are you hurt or are you injured? If you are injured, we will stop this game and get you the best medical care absolutely available. If you are hurt, get up. Get your rear end up and get after it. Sometimes spiritually, we need a cut man. We need somebody that will reach into that bucket of ice and pull that silver dollar out and just put on that wound and press it until we can get back in. We need somebody to put salve on our eyebrows. We need somebody to take that smelling sauce and wake us up and get us back in the game. There's so many people, so many people I run into that have been injured, they've been wounded, and they just checked out. Jesus told us. He couldn't have been more honest with us. This thing was going to be tough. It's going to be hard. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be sacrifices required. But we need somebody that loves us enough to get us in the game to do what we need to do. I started to, I was supposed to come Thursday. I was supposed to come Thursday. And in 20 years of evangelism, four years of pastoring, 13 years of youth ministry, I can count on one hand, one hand, the times that I was headed somewhere and my wife said, I really need you to stay. And I was coming Thursday to do some high schools and I readjusted, I'm gonna do every one of those schools. But that was one of them moments. Lee, I got my plate full. I'm a little stressed out. School students are coming tomorrow. She's a school teacher. I really wish you'd stay. I picked up that phone and I called my sparring partner, one of my trainers, one of my cut men. And buddy, let me tell you, I tried to just run it by him, see what he thought. And it didn't take long to hear what he thought. She's your highest calling. You can adjust them talks. You stay at home, boy. You do what I what she needs you to do. You do everything she needs you to do, and you do it with excellence and you do it with a smile, and you do it with the right heart. And I did. I did. Sometimes we get so focused on things. We get so focused on goals. You know I'm trying to speak to 100 high school football teams before Labor Day. I mean, sometimes we get so driven that we forget the most important things in our life. He served me as a cut man. You do what's most important. And then when you do that, you take those two days, now I'm not only going with her permission, I'm going with her blessing. She said, Lee, I know that was tough to rearrange those talks. Thank you so much for staying. You made the start of my school year so much better. You handled things I really didn't care to handle. You did some things I didn't really want to do. Absolutely, baby, anytime. Then he said, I have finished. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. He didn't say won the race. Do they still, I'm hoping in Hector, I'm hoping in Hector, do they still like the next to the last day of school, take all the kids out on the playground, scratch a line in the dirt, and say, on your mark, get set, go and see who truly is the fastest kid in Miss McGillicuddy's third grade class. Do y'all remember field day? Do they still have something like that? Please tell me they still have something like that. Those are the kind of races we think about. On your mark, get set, go. And we dig. That's not the kind of race that our spiritual race is. It is not a race to be won. 
It is a race to be finished. The only spiritual skill you have to develop to finish like Paul did is one, and it's a tough one. And that is the ability not to quit. To refuse to quit. No matter how many times you fall down, no matter how far you fall back. No matter how it looks when you're running. Now some of you, I don't know, some of y'all, I don't know, may have one of them stickers. Have one of y'all got one of them stickers on the back of their van that says 26.2? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Has anybody here ever run a marathon? Half a marathon? Oh, we do have somebody ran a marathon. Yeah. Woo, hallelujah. Y'all, if y'all ever see me running any distance at all, please shoot what's behind me. <laughs> Something's chasing me. If you see me come running and something's chasing me, please shoot it. Or every once in a while, if that red light's on at Krispy Kreme, I will run a little bit then. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean? You ever got them so hot you don't have to chew them, they just melt in your mouth? <clears throat> I think it is admirable that you ran a full marathon. I, I read a story about a man who really we could compare our spiritual race to. His name is Cliff Young. I don't know if you ever heard of Cliff Young. Cliff Young, in 1986, won the longest foot race on this earth. And it ain't 26.2 miles. It's from Sydney to Melbourne, Australia. It's 577 miles. And it takes days. Here's the cool thing about why it's cool that Cliff Young won. The first year he ever entered, he was 61 years old, and he showed up in work boots and overalls. He was a sheep farmer, a shepherd. They almost did not let him run. They almost didn't even let him compete. He wasn't dressed right. He didn't have on them high-tech shoes. Boy, I got me a pair of high-tech shoes. I'll tell you about that. My kids got me. Anybody, Hoka, you ever seen a Hoka tennis shoe? I think I was wearing them last night. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know how much they cost, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to buy me a pair. They gave me some for Father's Day. Like walking on marshmallows. I mean, it's divine. He didn't have him no hokas. He had him some brogan. He had work boots. Somebody finally gathered him up some tennis shoes, and they got him some proper apparel. They didn't tell him much about the race. They took his money, signed him up, and there you go, Cliff Young. He, it's known as the Cliff Young Shuffle. Google it when you get home. It's a tremendous story. It's like this. It's just a little weird-looking shuffle. It's, it's bizarre. Cool thing about Cliff Young, though, is he won that race the first time he ever competed in that race by six hours. He was six hours ahead of the second-place finisher. You know why? Cliff Young grew up on a sheep, a sheep farm, 2,000 acres, him and his brother. No horses, no tractors, no trucks. So when bad weather was coming, you know, you have to herd sheep. You have to help sheep alone. You know, sheep ain't the brightest animal on this earth. Y'all know that, don't you? Isn't it funny how many, 27 times Jesus refers to us as sheep. So when bad weather's coming, they had to hurt them. You know what they do? They do this little trot, this little trot around them. It would take hours and hours and hours. And just him and his brother would move those sheep. Cliff Young. One by six hours. But here's the kicker. 
Nobody told him. It wasn't a rule, but nobody told him the running strategy. So most of those runners would run 18 hours and sleep six. He ran 22 hours and slept two. He, he just wouldn't quit. Man, when they first took off, he couldn't see them. But he refused to quit. Listen, listen. I know that the enemy is going to tempt you sometimes to quit, to pause, to stop. I don't care how many times you've fallen down. I don't care if everybody in this county knows your business. I don't care how many people know your failures. I don't care how many times you've sinned, and I don't know how many times you've done the same sin. And you say, I can't ask for forgiveness one more time. Yes, you can. We finish the race when we refuse, refuse, refuse to quit. If you get snake bitten, I ain't quit. I get shipwrecked, I ain't quitting. They want to whip me, I ain't quitting. I don't care how many times I fall down. I don't care how far behind I get. I'm going to finish this race. Just determine in your heart and your spirit, I ain't quitting. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have kept the faith. There are people in here this morning, the Holy Spirit speaking clear to me. Now, I, I, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I, I've missed God. I wouldn't lie to you. I've missed God. But I ain't missing him right here. I hope you, you hear my heart and, and, and feel that I, I'm only saying this because I love you. But there's some people in this room and probably people in every room in every church. You need to make an adjustment on your faith. One little adjustment will make all the difference in the world. Your faith needs to go from ish to like. From ish to like. From childish to childlike. Now when you hear scriptures, in the scripture one, they're trying to, when the Lord is trying to describe pure faith, great faith, he uses childlike faith. Childlike faith is pure. Here's the problem. We think when something needs to be purified, we need to add stuff to it. And I'm telling you, when they really truly purify things, they don't add stuff to it. They take stuff from it. If you want the purest water, they start taking stuff out till it gets to the purest form that it can. I'm telling you in some of your lives, you're thinking there's something you need to do. And I'm telling you, maybe you need to do less. Some of you think that, you know, I need to add something, and maybe the Lord's telling you you need to take away something so that your faith is pure. You're thinking, I need to catch another gear and speed up, and he's telling you, slow down. Childlike faith is the purest faith on this earth. I just bragged on my little four-year-old granddaughter. I hadn't even told y'all about my 11-month-old granddaughter, Sophia. Sophia, gorgeous, smart. See, she's 11 months old. How you know? I know. Believe me, I know. She's spooky smart. Her mom is 50% Puerto Rican. Sophie's our little Puerto Rican. Can you say amen? If I take Ladybug, she, I brought her to church here tonight. And then after I went out, I said, Ladybug, find Papa Rock. She hands me a rock. I say, 
ladybug. Pop's going to throw this rock to the moon. Now, you, you know I can't do that. You understand math and science and logistics. You know that I can't do that. And I would never lie to her. But I'm telling you, if I told her that, she would believe that. Because here's what she knows about her pop. My pop loves me. My pop's never lied to me. And my pop would do anything for me. I'm telling you, sometimes our faith becomes childish. Now, childlike faith is pure and strong. Childish faith, now that's different. Childish faith, what did he say? What pastor say in the beginning of the service? It ain't about you. It ain't about me. Childish faith has the Ric Flair theology towards Christianity. It's all about me. Childish faith, get mad at God. Boy, something don't go their way. Woo! Get mad. I'll take my kickball and go to the house. I didn't get my way in this deal. That's childish faith. Childish, everything didn't go my way. I couldn't be in control. They want to do something different than the way I think it ought to be done. My faith becomes childish. Mad at God. You ever thought about how silly that is? Mad at God who created us and gave his one and only son to die for us? My faith becomes childish at times. I ain't telling you nothing that I haven't had to hear. I strive for my faith to be childlike and not childish. So some of you need to quit listening to the world. Some of you might need to quit listening to so much news. My mom and daddy watched six hours of Fox News. I said, Daddy, it's 20 minutes of news. And we've watched it six hours. Please turn it to gun smoke. Please. <laughs> Not that I got a problem with Fox News, but I don't watch nothing six hours. Except Lonesome Dove, maybe. I mean, I don't know. You know. But we let that penetrate into our spirit. What we need to do with our faith is this. God is my Father. God loves me. And God has done everything for me. And when he tells me something, I'm going to believe it. I don't care what the world says. I don't care if it ain't practical. I don't care if it ain't reasonable. I don't care if people think it ain't fair. I don't think if, care if people think it ain't politically correct. He's my Father. He loves me. And he has done everything for me. I'm fixing to take him at his word. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Childlike. From ish to like. This world says, show me a sign. Well, if God shows you a sign, at that point, it ain't faith. If you can prove something, it ain't faith. If he's got to, if he's got to lay it out and, and reassure you, that's not faith. And my Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. And then I meet people that are self-proclaimed kings and warriors of the faith, but they don't do nothing for the kingdom. They don't do nothing for the kingdom. They sit in church, but they don't give to the community. They don't serve. 
They just become faith gurus. My Bible also says faith without works is dead. I want to have a childlike faith that takes God at his word, that has a commun- I mean a passion for lost people. I got two more things to say, but the Holy Spirit wants to stop me. Just stand to your feet where you are. Just stand to your feet. Maybe if one of our musicians come back and just play something lightly. It doesn't have to be the whole crowd. But. If, if you're in here today and, and you would say to me, Lee, obviously, I, I know that's not a deep message. I I I ain't going to impress no theologians talking about sparring partners and cutting in and Australian shepherds. But you'd be honest and you'd say this morning, Big Lee, obviously, obviously, the Lord put this on your heart for me. Maybe... Maybe you're you're mad at God. Look, I I ain't throwing rocks at you. I've been mad at God. I'm not acting like I haven't. My faith has been extremely childish at times. And I have to battle every day of my life that it doesn't go back that way. But you would say, obviously, Lee, this was for me. I ain't even going to ask you to bow your heads. We're not even going to go through the first phase of raising your hand. If if you know this was for you, we're going to have a few folks going to help us pray. I'm going to be up here. I want to pray with you. I I, I didn't come here to set nobody straight. My heart is, maybe I came this morning to set somebody free. Spirit's tugging on your heart and you said, Lee, something in your message was obviously for me. And I know why the Lord put that message on your heart for this moment. Would would you just come and let us pray with you? Just come. You're in the safest room in the state of Arkansas to make a move toward God. Ain't no judgment in this room and we've all had to do this. We've all had to bow a knee, raise a hand, Admit we was wrong, make a move. Everybody in this room has done this, maybe multiple times. If you you be courageous enough this morning, you really want to be set free of something, and you'd say, Lee, I've been a little mad at God. Just just come on. We'll pray with you. you. You know exactly who you are. I know it's tough. It's tough to do this in front of folks. There's a bunch of ways to do it. And I'm not saying you got to do it this way or God ain't going to help you. you. God can meet at you at your house by yourself this afternoon. But I am telling you this truth. 
There's something powerful about doing it in front of people, making a move toward God in front of folks. Lord, just help us. Help us, Lord. From ish to life. Childish to childlike, Lord. Lord, just help us make a move toward you this morning. I'll make you a promise if you make a move. It's a twofold promise. Number one, you will not be in this altar alone. We're going to help you pray. And number two, God's going to meet your need. He's going to meet your need this morning. Help me to find that person. Help me to be that person to somebody else. Just 